You're listening to Work in Progress. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Work in Progress explores the rapidly changing workplace through conversations with innovators, educators, and decision makers, people with solutions to today's workforce challenges. Joining me today on Work in Progress are my colleagues and friends, Art Bilger, founder and CEO of Working Nation, and Jay Notes, president of Working Nation. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Ramona, for having us. Yes, thank you very much. Today's podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about our sixth year anniversary, celebrate it because we've really been around doing a lot of work in workforce development, and I'm very proud of that mission that we are on. But I would also like to talk about what challenges are still ahead in the labor market. Art, why don't we start with you and you tell me a little bit about where you think we are and how far we've come in the last six years. Ramona, thank you very much. and delighted to be here with you today. As we look back over the last six years since we launched uh, Working Nation in September of 16, I do think we've come a long way. The original mission, I think still the mission today, was to identify where the jobs of the future will be. And I don't mean 20 years from now. I'm talking about today, but also three years from now, five years, seven years from now. And then identifying and then telling the stories about the solutions. And solutions, I consider very much to be local. Sure, plenty of need for government at the highest levels in these areas, but the solutions themselves are local. It's what companies are doing. It's what not-for-profits, academic entities, local government are doing. And identifying those and then telling those stories. But we're a country of 330 million people. And a lot of this information and knowledge people are not aware of. And so the power of media is critical. I do think in the six years since we launched, there has been, you know, important advancement in these areas of knowledge and, you know, communications. I will say that, uh, you know, over the last two plus years, COVID has accelerated the issues that we face. So what we're doing here at Working Nation, and, you know, there are others out there doing very important stuff, is to work to educate the key audiences across our nation. Audience one are those people who truly can make a difference if they understood. Audience two are those who are working on solutions because they can learn from each other. And then finally, audience three are mom and pop, uh, pops and young people across this country. Because there are many things that, you know, the three of us probably know about and you know, many others out there. But the average family across this country has no knowledge. But with that knowledge, they, I really believe, could move the ball forward aggressively for their families and their communities. Jane Art mentioned already COVID. So in the last couple of years, COVID really has impacted the way we work in this country and around the world. What other factors are out there and how do you see the change? What What's changed over the last couple of years? I think the other thing I would add to what Art said is besides COVID, we had the murder of George Floyd in May of 2020. And it all of a sudden 
made everyone realize that there was gross inequity in every part of our society, but we were focusing on work and opportunities around work. So I think that's become really a mission for everyone, including us, to look at how do we make sure that, you know, as Art said, getting to those stakeholder groups that he was talking about, how do we make sure they have the right information? The information about job titles that they might not be familiar with, the information about a quality program and what makes a program quality to help them get on a pathway. And finally, I would say the word mobility has become much more important. It is no longer just getting you in the door for your first job. It's making sure that every single person has the opportunity to move up the pay scale, the job title scale, and advance themselves. And by the way, I think one of the things we have to be really careful of is it also, it's not just systems changing, people have to put out 100%. People have to take advantage of these opportunities. And I think that's something we're hearing right now with this quiet quit stuff. Everybody has to know they still have to work hard, whether they're working remotely or in the same way they worked before COVID. This focus on equity has become a big part of our conversation here at Working Nation, rightly so. We did see that there were so many inequities and who has opportunity, as you very clearly said, Jane, opportunities to get a job and then opportunity to advance. And one of the underlying you know, bits of conversation that Art, you like to talk about is how there's a sense of purpose that people get from getting a good family sustaining job. I feel as strong, if not stronger than ever, about the whole idea of the link between employment and purpose in life. Yes, dollars and cents critical, but I do believe there's much more to employment. And I'm not just talking about the three of us and purpose and what we're doing, but I'm talking about employment throughout the society. You get up Monday morning, you go to work, you're part of a team and producing bringing home income to feed and educate the family, to truly be part of a community. And I believe that is, you know, employment is such a critical piece of that sense of well-being in society. It is a key part of the message of ours at Working Nation, the link between employment and purpose in life. I think that purpose piece, I, I totally agree with Art that all of us, derive great purpose from the work that we do and other people the same way. It doesn't matter what kind of collar you wear, blue, white, no, it doesn't matter. Everyone de derives a sense of meaning and purpose from their, their work. But I think what's really changed in the past several years is that people are choosing employers based on how that employer is showing purpose. So how are they using their corporate social responsibility dollars? What kind of corporate citizen they are? Some For some people, it's looking at what they do with ESG, you know what I mean? And, and how they're reducing their own carbon uh, footprint. But for many others is, it's really, yes, do you invest in me, but also are you allowing me as part of my work life to give back to the community in which we're situated? Before George Floyd and before 
COVID, this was an issue as well. We just didn't see it as a society as clearly, I believe. Do you think, do you think that's changed the employer's role or the employer's point of view? So I'll start and let Art back clean up on this one. You know, I think absolutely more employers than ever are looking at the importance of A, providing a quality job, B, getting workers, both incumbent workers and prospective workers, input on what quality means. It's hard for me not to think that most people are still worried about salary because with right, right now an eight and a half percent inflation rate, everybody's dollar is worth less than it was before. But I think that Art's right when he says it's more than money, it's flexibility, it's are you investing in me, you know, those education as benefit kinds of things that we saw pre-COVID that were single digit take up. I hope in 2022, when we get the data, we're going to find that many more people took advantage of their employer paying tuition for them to upskill or reskill themselves. Earlier, you talked about solutions being local. How can a community come together? How can the different pieces come together to collaborate to affect change? You know, as I mentioned earlier, there are key organizations that have, you know, very significant reach in local communities. Obviously, we've talked a bit here about, uh, you know, corporations as uh, employers, but I do believe academic entities, not-for-profits and local government are key parts of that equation. We at Working Nation are deeply engaged with all of those types of organizations. People can learn quickly, but, you know, sometimes they've got to, you know, the information has to come from elsewhere. And that really is very much our role at uh, Working Nation. I really believe community is so much of this. And I do think people throughout the country do understand the importance of community, but the employment piece of the equation I do believe has to be a higher priority in the communities in which we live. And, you know, whether it's, you know, the major cities, including ones that the three of us are sitting in, as well as, you know, that small town in, uh, you know, Nebraska, lovely family, kids and all, but there's so much knowledge and information about where the employment world is going that, you know, just isn't available to that family. And, you know, the goal is for Working Nation plus many other organizations to bring that knowledge to them. And Ramona, I think the change that is slowly coming and has to come, it's the, and I have a sense of urgency about this, is educators and nonprofits have to look at labor market information. They can't train for good jobs that don't exist in that community. Nobody wants to lose their talent. So all those partnerships that are articulated so carefully and clearly really have to begin and end with labor market information. What are the in-demand jobs? And then how can we work together to make sure we get the best possible training so that people are qualified for those jobs that live right next door to us? Yeah. Well, you know, picking up on what Jane just said, one of, I think, the very big issues, uh, which clearly was not an issue I was thinking about, you know, nine years ago or six years ago when we launched, but today I do believe is very much a critical issue, 
is the whole idea of where one works. To what extent are people, is the mechanism of working together changed? The same way the three of us are doing a Zoom right now. Now, granted, there's 3,000 miles between where Ramona and I live versus where Jane lives. So Zoom is a very valuable thing in that regard. But also, I'm seeing quite a bit, we're all seeing quite a bit of a change in how people uh, engage from an employment standpoint. Uh, and that, uh, I don't have, I, I will tell you, I don't have the answers, but I do worry about this whole idea of virtual employment um, because it is, it does seem in a lot of communities to becoming a widely recognized positive thing, which is great. But I do think there are pieces of the equation that are missing. And that is the three of us can engage very nice on, you know, uh, video here. But I don't believe we would all have developed Working Nation and brought it to where it is today unless we had clearly early on and even ever since then spent a lot of time just sitting in person, face to face, brainstorming and developing relationships. Art, that's such a good point because, you know, you hear people, everyone likes the idea of either totally remote working or at least some version of hybrid work. But what does it mean in terms of that relationship? And it's not just friendships, but it really is learning and leaning on each other. It's sitting across the table, leaning in and saying, what a great idea, giving people positive feedback. That doesn't happen nearly enough. And I would add one other thing. I don't think managers have the vaguest idea how to manage well with remote workers. And I think eventually it's going to drastically impact productivity. Yeah, I very much agree. I've often thought about the when we had our office before COVID, how easy it was to pop down the hall and get an answer to a question. Now it's sometimes you have to schedule time. So now you're spending 30 minutes with somebody when it could have taken 30 seconds just to get an answer. So I do think that there is a disadvantage in some jobs, and but not everybody has the option to work in an office and not everybody has the option to work at home. I still think it's a smaller percentage. So I think there's going to be a lot of work still done face-to-face. -face. We got to add to that the different age groups in society. The three of us have worked in person with people for, uh, for directly for decades. But when I look at some of the statistics and I have and conversations with organizations where young people, very important uh, pieces of the equation today, and clearly critical pieces of the equation looking forward, there's a very, very different attitude. I was talking uh, recently with a you know, very key partner at a you know, pretty major law firm. I went up to his office to see him, and granted, it was a Friday afternoon, but there wasn't a soul on the entire floor except him and I guess his uh, assistant. And I did ask him, you know, where are all the young attorneys? And he says, no one will come to the office. We'll look back, you know, 10 years from now and have a much better idea. But if someone asked me to uh, push a particular area of workforce development forward, it would be 
let's get back into the office, sit around conference tables and the coffee machine and all. And yeah, I, I do think it's something very important and we really have no real sense of how dramatic it, it could be for us. We're nine years into Arts Ideas, six years into Working Nation. The way we work has changed. Technology has changed. There has been a lot of focus also since COVID and George Floyd on the idea that you don't need a college degree anymore to have a really good job. You don't need a college degree to get a really good career. It depends on the job. It depends on the requirements of the job. So the skills-based hiring idea has really come to life. And I think that might have also been a result of the last couple of years. I think that the labor market shortage right now is pushing people to adopt things that made sense before COVID, but they didn't have, they, they had the luxury of saying, you know, in order to do this job, I you either have to have a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree, or it's preferred. And many people without the paper are reluctant to apply, even if the job description says preferred and not required. I think that when you go to skills-based hiring and people can identify the skills that they have and see that they're a direct match for a job, they're much more open to applying. But we still have huge hurdles here because we're talking about things that people could make happen immediately. But right now, the way that hiring is done, it's AI. And you know, if that algorithm hasn't been adjusted to say, I want to look at people who have the skills who may not have the degree, I want to look at people who have the skills who may have had a pause in their work history, I want to look at people who are older than 60 or younger than 25, I mean, those are still things we have a lot of work left to do. And I think Working Nation is uniquely qualified with our partners, you know, and you know, our partners at Opportunity at Work are doing some amazing work on this. But I mean, our partners at the Chamber, our partners at other places, we really need to work together to make sure that more and more employers are paying attention to this. And I think your interviews at SHRM that you did earlier this year really reflect that, that we're out there trying to push this message and get people on the record to kind of say, we understand that talent is more than just a degree. Skills-based hiring, that idea is a very positive idea that came out of two and a half years of very difficult times for people in the workforce, employers and employees. What do you think still needs to be done? What other challenges are out there that have yet to be addressed? Well, look, I think if if remote work continues for some or even hybrid work continues for some, I think you're going to have a lot of pushback from those employees in the same company who have to report every day. And I think employers are going to grapple with what kinds of compensation do I give you, Ramona, if you have to come physically to work every day when I'm letting art work remotely three days a week. So I think that's something to come. I think that the other thing is this whole push-pull push between go to college, don't go to college. We've seen college enrollments drop drastically over the last few years double-digit reduction semester to semester. And I really worry that 
you know, while there are some jobs that require for licensing purposes or just job uh, descriptions, bachelor's degrees, you know, I'm thinking lawyers, doctors, teachers, nurses, things like that. Are we sending the wrong message to young people? Should we instead be saying you can get a great job right out of high school, but you should be looking to stack credentials so that you can get an associate's or a baccalaureate degree? And, you know, the skills based hiring piece has certainly meant the most for older workers, career changers, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s who can't go back to school full time. But I I think we've got to refine the message in some way because I don't want to look back in 10 years and say, oh, my God, all these kids, these low income kids, we told them not to go to college. And now the next recession doesn't value the skills based hiring the way it did in 2022. So I always want to be looking at make sure we prepare everyone. We want to give them as many options as possible. And I'm very concerned that we're pushing too much in one direction. I want to go on the record, though, and say, you know, I think skills based hiring responds to a real bias in this country that you're only smart if you have a degree. That's why I applaud it. But I think we have to really figure out how how to figure out a message that's more nuanced. Art, your thoughts? How can I disagree with Jane? (laughs) (laughs) Why start now? (laughs) So then, Art, let me ask you this. I'll give you the final question then. Are you optimistic that we are moving forward in addressing the concerns that you had when you first started Working Nation? Yes, although I do think the challenges are greater than I might have imagined when we first got this thing going. As indicated by some of what we've already talked about, COVID and the acceleration of changes in uh, employment, there's a lot of dialogue going on in this country and beyond this country that is focused on a lot of other issues that in the end, I do believe impact employment, but not necessarily from a constructive rah, 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 let's go. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I do believe there is a lot more discussion than when we first began six years ago. That's great, but there's a lot of learning that still has to happen. I would very much like the subject that we're talking about and the solutions to be elevated much more quickly in the society because of changes that have taken place over the last six years. Art, Jane, I want to thank you both for being on Work in Progress. And to all of our Working Nation colleagues out there, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, Ramona. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ramona. Thanks for all that you do. And thank the both of you. I've been speaking to Art Bilger, founder and CEO of Working Nation, and Jay Notes, president of Working Nation. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, editor-in-chief of Working Nation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>